Good morning. Great to see you guys today. My name is Derek, and uh, we are in the middle of a series called At the Movies. And today I'm really excited because we are going to look at my favorite movie from the past year, my all-time favorite movie. It happens to be an animated movie. For any of you animated movie fans, I've always been a fan of animated movies. It's the only animated film we're doing in this whole series, and it is the movie Big Hero 6. We're going to see a bunch of clips today, but basically, here's the story. If you haven't uh, heard of the movie or you haven't seen the movie, the movie uh, is basically about two brothers, uh, Hiro and Tadashi. And these two brothers, we don't know how, but they've lost their parents, both of their parents, and they uh, have been adopted by their aunt. And they, these two brothers are like wicked smart, like genius smart. They know all there is to know about technology and especially robotics. And, um, and so Tadashi's the older brother in the picture that you see. And, and he's like your classic nerd older brother, you know, very straight-laced, does everything, kind of stays on the straight and narrow. And he's in this special advanced school where they're doing all kinds of like advanced technology and robotics. And then we have uh, his younger brother, Hiro. And Hiro is this adolescent boy. He's actually even smarter than his older brother. But, um, but he's really just in that phase where he's trying to figure out who he is. He's trying to find himself. And so he's getting himself, his brain is way ahead of his development. And so he's getting himself into all kinds of trouble. And so in an effort to, to rescue his little brother, uh, the older brother, Tadashi, decides, I've got I've to let uh, Hiro catch a vision for what his life could be, or it's going to be a train wreck. And so he invites his brother to come to this special advanced school that he's enrolled in. So inspired by his visit to Tadashi's school, Hiro decides that he's going to apply himself. Like he, this is what, all he wants to do now is get into the school and like invent stuff and it's going to be awesome. But one of the prerequisites for being able to get into this school is that you actually have to invent something and then make a presentation to the admissions board. And if it's good enough, it, if it impresses them enough, then you will be admitted to the school. And so Hero comes up with this invention. He invents these tiny little robots, which he calls microbots. And he makes thousands and thousands of these little microbots. And they can actually be controlled by like a, a, a headgear. And so you, you're using your mind, you control all these different robots and they, they can basically do anything. And so he makes this presentation to the admissions board and they love it. And he's a huge success. And everything looks like it's, it's going perfect now. He's going to get into the school. He's so excited. And then all of a sudden, there's this explosion in the school. There's this fire that breaks out, and all the microbots get destroyed. And, uh, and even worse, so his, his brother goes back into the building to try and save uh, the, the beloved professor, Professor Callahan. And in doing that, his brother Tadashi dies in the fire. And so here we have this young boy, Hiro. He's not only lost his parents, but now he's lost his only brother. Like he was like his idol. And he is completely devastated. So this launches Hero into this grand adventure. And thanks to Baymax, they actually go and they, using that little microbot, they trace it to all these other microbots in this old abandoned warehouse that has now become a factory 
and there is somebody, and they're not sure who it is, but it's basically some masked villain that has, has gotten a hold of these microbots somehow and is controlling them using that psychedelic-looking mask up there. And so they, they, they come and they, they find this villain and, uh, and they confront the villain. And when they do, the villain just sends all the microbots onto Hero and Baymax. And they barely escape with their lives. They are absolutely no match for this villain and all the microbots that he's controlling. So they decide, they, they, they barely get out of there and they go and they regroup. And, and so what Hero decides to do is he decides that he's going to team up with all of his older brother's friends from their advanced school. And so they, th- those are all the friends back there. And so they all get together. And now these are all like super geniuses. So they build all this like robotics equipment and they, they've got all these cool like technology powers and they, they arm themselves. And now, and, and you see there's Baymax. He's totally revamped, renewed. And, um, and now they're, they're turning their sights on this evil villain. Let's see what happens next. So I want you guys to, to catch this next scene because what, what is about to happen next, Hero, in the midst of his anger, uh, what happens next is really where this whole movie turns and, and it's really about the, the, the message for today. So let's take a look one more time. So the movie really turns right here because you see Hero with the help of his brother Tadashi's spirit, which is alive and well, living in Baymax's programming, he realizes that his ultimate mission is not to destroy his professor Callahan, but his mission is actually to somehow, some way, save him. Hero has discovered a better way. And it turns out that this way, it's the way of Jesus Christ and his followers. Shameless transition to the sermon now. <laughs> so we're going to pick up a letter that one of Jesus' first followers wrote to some fellow followers of Jesus. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to some Christians in Rome. It's uh, aptly named letter to the Romans, and uh, it's chapter 12, starting in verse 17, going through verse 21. So Paul here writes, do not repay anyone evil for evil. And, and really, this teaching that Paul is writing to his fellow Christians comes straight from Jesus' teaching about we're called to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. So he says, don't repay anyone evil for evil. And then skipping down to verse 19, Paul says, don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Now, there's two words in there that are so powerful that I want you just to dwell on for a minute. He says, don't take revenge, but what? Leave room. Leave room. Now, I don't know about you, but so often when I'm wronged, I just want to take matters into my own hands. I don't leave any room for God at all to do anything. And so here's the question for you just to pause and think about for a second. When you've been wronged, when something uh, has happened to you and you have this primal urge to get revenge, are you leaving room 
Is there any room for God to move or do anything? Paul continues. He says, For it's written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So the reason that we can leave room here, and we don't have to do everything ourselves, is because ultimately God says, listen, vengeance, repayment, that's not your job, actually. That's my job. That's up to me. And so the reason that we can leave room, and this is really important, if you're here today and you have been deeply wronged, you have been victimized, and you are hurting, okay? You are hurting right now in this room, okay? The reason that we can leave room is because ultimately God says, listen, I'm handling this, okay? You've got to hear me on this. God knows your pain. God has seen your suffering, and God is deeply grieved by it. Our God hurts alongside of us when we're victims of injustice or pain or anything else that happens to us. And ultimately, what God says is that he is going to make it right. And so we must leave room for God to move. Now, if you think that that's a crazy idea, wait till this next part. It gets even crazier. And this is actually where if, if you're here today and you're just still kind of figuring out Christianity or faith or, you know, whatever, you're, you're still kind of exploring who Jesus is, this is where you actually take a huge sigh of relief and you're like, oh, thank God I don't have to do this. You know, I'm just kind of checking this whole deal out. This is where the rest of us who have actually put our faith in Jesus as God and basically said, okay, Jesus, I'm just going to follow you. I'm going to do what you say. We've submitted ourselves to him. This is where we feel it right in our gut because check out what comes next. Paul writes, on the contrary, okay? So not just don't take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. But on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Does that make anyone else just kind of sick to your stomach right now? What God is basically saying in this moment is, you feed him, I'll get even. Okay? Or said another way, you just bless, I'll do the rest. Literally, that's, that's this passage kind of wrapped up in a nutshell. And then Paul writes, in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, on the head of, your, of his enemy. Now, this is the part where we're like, okay, finally, good. Okay, it gets better. I like this burning coals part. In fact, some of you are thinking, man, okay, is this just like some little prescription deal? Awesome. Okay, I'm going to get my plate. I'm going to make some food, get some chicken on there, some mashed potatoes, some green beans. Let me just go ahead and serve up this platter to my enemy right down here. Okay, man, here you go. Have some dinner. And then we got a big smile on our face. And you know why we got the big smile on our face as we're doing this? Because all we're thinking in our mind is what? Burning coals, burning coals, burning coals of fire down on our enemy. We want justice and we want it now. We don't want to leave room. We just want it right now. And I got to tell you that if you're here in this room, maybe you feel like Hero did in that clip where he realized that it was Callahan who was this villain. And you're just 
you're, you're still seething with anger. You're, you're, you're in an, an just a terrible place right now. First of all, I just want to say, I feel you. I've been there in my life. And so for you, that imagery of the burning coals and all that, maybe that is actually one of the ways that, that you, will, you will actually try and leave some room for what God might do, and that you'll actually try and do something benevolent instead of maybe what, what your gut is telling you that you should do. And so I don't want to take that away from you if you've got kind of the burning coals, fire, like raining down from heaven kind of deal going on in your mind, but, but I, I, just, I just have to tell you that there's, a, there's another interpretation that I just want to share with you. So um, back when this was written, there was a, an ancient Egyptian ritual that was pretty prominent. And this, this ritual was that um, if someone had, had wronged another person, and it was pretty significant, it's not just a small little thing, but it was a significant thing, what they would do is they would actually um, heap a bunch of burning coals into like a bucket, some sort of container, and then they would hoist that onto their head. And in this Egyptian tradition that, that um, Paul's readers would have been familiar with, um, they would walk around their town or their village or whatever with these burning coals hoisted on top of their head. And basically, it was a sign at this point that they were repentant for what they had done. That they were deeply, deeply sorry. And the light bulb had come on and they were basically saying, this, this is a sign that I'm going to turn from this, and uh, I'm sorry, and it's time to move on. So here's the deal. If we, uh, there's, there's, there's two really different interpretations of, of how you could look at this whole heaping burning coals on somebody's head. But if you look at Romans chapter 12 and chapter 13, what you find is that these few verses that we looked at here are kind of bookended with this one theme on both ends of it that's captured in a four-letter word starting with an L. And that's the word love. And if we think about the one that we follow, Jesus Christ, we don't see a lot of times in the scriptures where his enemies, and he had many, were coming against him and, and he called down fire and burning coals from heaven. Although some of his followers actually asked him to do that. Um, but Jesus never did, right? So just thinking about this for a minute, okay? And you're free to have your interpretation. This is just mine. But um, ultimately, what do we see Jesus doing? In his greatest moment of torture and pain, he does the most awesome, wonderful, loving, sacrificial thing that he could possibly do. Instead of retaliating and calling down fire and angels from heaven on his enemies, he simply takes upon all that evil upon himself and he swallows it all up in the most loving act that you could ever do, laying down his life for every single one of us and all the evil acts that have ever been done in this world. The greatest act of love of all time. So regardless of how you see that burning coal reference there, the burning coals on the head, here is the reality. What God is saying to us here is, listen, listen, you're hurting, you're in pain, you've been victimized. Your job is to bless. Let me take care of the rest. Now, final verse I want to look at. It's a great verse. 
Paul writes in verse 21, he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I just think that is such a great verse. If you've got a verse you want to memorize, get in your head, this is an easy one to remember as well. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, here's the thing. Every single one of us in this room, we've all been wronged. Every single last one of us. It's part of just walking around on this broken planet in the 21st century. So we've all been wronged. But we all have a choice in how we will respond. So I got one final clip for us to take a look at. And I want you to see how Hero chooses to respond. So that's actually not the end of the movie. If you haven't seen it, there's even better stuff that comes at the very end. But um, here's the deal. Did you see how consumed Callahan was there in that scene? He was full of so much hate and so much evil because of what had happened to him. It actually led to his own undoing. He truly, like Romans 12, 21 says, had been overcome by evil. So here's the question that I just want to leave you guys with this morning as we end our service together. When you've been wronged, and many of us, we haven't just been wronged recently, but, but we're dealing with something right now. We have pain going on right now. When you've been wronged, how will you respond? See, when it's up on a screen like that in, in Disney HD, I mean, it's so easy to see how, oh man, I mean, who wants to be like Callahan? Not a single one of us. But if I'm going to be honest, I've had times in my life where I've been overcome by evil. I'm not saying I've turned into an evil person, but that hurt and that anger and all that just stuff has turned into just bitterness and judgment and condemnation and just vile thoughts toward somebody or something that has wronged me. And so the question before us is how will you respond? Will you respond like Callahan? That's, that's, that's the instinctive way that we always respond. That's, that's how we do it. That's why Jesus had to teach us a better way. Or Would you be willing to leave some room for God to actually keep an open mind about what Jesus teaches us and what Paul writes here about not taking revenge, about leaving room for God to get even and see what happens? Would you consider being more like hero in this story? Because we all have that tendency to do it ourselves, to want to take matters into our own hands. But what God says is, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Leave room for me. Will you pray with me? God, um, I know there is um, a lot of pain in this room. There's a lot of stuff that um, has not been resolved. A lot of injustices, a lot of suffering. God, uh, we've been victimized. And um, you know it just would feel so good 
to power up the way Callahan did in that story. And God, we've all done it at times. And it does feel good, God, but it leaves us empty. God, thank you for showing us a better way through our pain, through our hurt, through our anger. Lord, it's so hard, but please let us leave room for you to make things right. And Jesus, um, I just want to say thank you. Thank you not only for the fact that you taught us this better way to actually love our enemies, to choose good, and that's actually how we defeat evil. Not just for your teaching, and not even just for your example of how you defeated evil by your amazing, loving sacrifice on that cross. Not just your teaching, not just your example, but ultimately, Jesus, we thank you that for those of us who profess faith in you, those of us who've invited you into our lives, that you, we actually have your spirit residing in us that gives us strength and power to do what we cannot do and we do not want to do on our own. And that is ultimately to love people who deserve no love as far as it depends on us. And Lord, many of us in this room, we know in our heads what we should do, but there's no way in our hearts we can do it. And I just pray, Lord, right now, that you would do business with everyone in this room who's facing that struggle right now, and that you would remind us that we have the spirit of the living God in us to do what we cannot do on our own. Lord, allow us to walk in your spirit and to usher in your love and your goodness and then to leave room trusting that you will make things right. We need your help, not just right now in this prayer, but as we walk out of here, as we go about our week, and especially, God, as we hear your whispering, as we hear your spirit prompting us to that better way, Lord, give us the courage to do what we need to do and then give us the strength that we don't have in our own power. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.